Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Right now, while Amarillo is dealing with a surge in COVID-19 cases, I've decided to re-release some of my favorite episodes from early in this podcast run. Today's episode was originally recorded in March of 2018 and it features Stevie Larson. And I'll be honest, when I first started this podcast, I thought that my best strategy was going to be to talk to people who had a locally high profile, so that when you saw a name you recognized in the title of each episode, you'd want to listen. Well, Stevie is not locally famous, and she doesn't have a huge social media platform. But after I learned her story, I thought, man, that's someone my listeners need to meet. And it ended up being one of the most listened to episodes I released up to that point. I mean, it it changed how I think about guests and and who needs to be on the podcast and who my listeners need to hear from. So here's the thing about Stevie. Around seven years ago, she was addicted to heroin and she ended up going to prison. When she finally got out, Stevie left the Dallas area. She got on a bus and she came to Amarillo because of an organization called Sharing Hope Ministry. This local Christian nonprofit works with women who are in prison. That's how Stevie encountered them. And Sharing Hope also operates Patsy's Place, a transitional home for women here in Amarillo. Well, today Stevie actually works for Sharing Hope. She's the special projects coordinator. In this episode, we talked about the mistakes she made in the past, how Sharing Hope brought her to Amarillo in the first place, and why she decided to stay here and make her home here. Here's Stevie Larson. Stevie Larson, welcome to Hey Amarillo. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I I want to talk about a number of things that you're involved with, especially Patsy's Place, Sharing Hope, and the different things that you do there. But let's start. I'd I'd like you to just tell your story. So uh, I know you didn't grow up here in Amarillo. So tell me about where you grew up. So I was actually born and raised in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was born in Irving and grew up all over the Metroplex. And, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty regular home, middle-class family. Um, I had a very supportive family. I did really good in school, made good grades. But as I became a teenager and I kind of... Uh, dropped out of sports and kind of got put into a wrong crowd, I guess you could say, a wrong crowd of friends and started experimenting with drugs. Um, It wasn't long before I kind of um, headed into some some of the heavier drugs, you could say, and I uh, faced a heroin addiction for 10 years. Starting at like what age? I started heroin for the very first time when I was 15 years old. I tried it for the first time. And, you know, growing up in the Metroplex area in the suburbs, I mean, you don't think of that as a heroin, you know, home base or anything. I mean, it, was it something that was easy for you to come by even in that environment? Or uh, Actually, it really was. You know, like I said, I, I had gotten involved with some people and it, it was really about who you knew. And they knew where to get it, and it was it was very very accessible for teenagers to get a hold of. So you weren't some isolated incident. It was common, or at least common enough that it, it wasn't 
that strange of a thing for somebody like you to find it. Right. I had lots of friends who didn't do drugs, you know, I mean, it's, uh, but then I had those ones that did do drugs that I, that I ended up getting involved with. Um, you know, like I said, I came from a middle-class family suburbs. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think that drugs would hit, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood, but they just happened to, and I just happened to experiment with them. And, you know, I felt, I guess you could say I fell in love with drugs because I, I, um, ended up being addicted to him and it became my life for 10 years. So tell me what happens when you are 15, you get addicted to a drug like heroin mm-hmm. that, uh, can be so deadly that that can be so, I guess, all consuming with your life. What, what happens to you when you're a 15 year old going to school, that sort of thing? Uh, to be, to be honest, I was a very functioning addict until I was about 20 years old. And mainly the reason was my parents were very enabling. <laughs> I, um, you know, I kept a job. I continued to uh, go to high school. I graduated high school addicted to drugs. Um, you know, it's it's a very weird situation that I was in because you wouldn't think that was possible, but it was. So whenever I was 20 years old is when it when it really went downhill and my parents kind of stopped being enabling. And um, that's the very first time that I went to rehab. Okay, so tell me, tell me what going downhill looks like. How how did you end up going to rehab? Uh, I went to rehab because uh, my parents were no longer giving me money that I could get drugs for. Um, you know, I started going through withdrawals, and um, so I start really that was the main reason I started going through withdrawals for that five years. I had never gone through withdrawals from the drug because it was always accessible and always available to me. And so whenever I started going through the withdrawals, I realized, man, this is really tough. This is really hard. And so that's when my parents helped me go to rehab. What kind of rehab facility was it? It was a 30-day residential treatment facility. And I wish I could say that was my first rehab, but um, it wasn't. Um, I went to uh, seven rehabs altogether. Wow. Mm -hmm. Tell me about uh, the withdrawal process. I mean, for most people will not have experienced that. So what's that like? Uh, it's very painful. You get um, hot and cold chills. Your whole body aches. It, it almost feels like you're, you've are you got flu symptoms. Um, and then you also face uh, just this anxiety, this huge anxiety of, of wanting more drugs. So you're, you're clean now. Yes. Um, do you have a sense of why the other rehab facilities, why, you know, you're, you're multiple times in rehab, why it didn't work those first seven times? Uh, definitely. I, I needed more than just 30 days, you know. Um, the addiction, there's a lot of underlying issues besides just being addicted to drugs. Uh, there's emotional and spiritual problems that you face. Sometimes there's uh, traumatic events that happened in your past that you haven't dealt with. Um, and so I needed more time to focus on me and focus those unresolved issues. And so ultimately, you ended up incarcerated. Because yes. you you were not able to kick the habit, I assume that um, that you're that something related to the drugs is why you ended up in jail. Yes, so I was I was actually 25 years old. Well, I turned 25 in jail. It was right before my birthday that I got arrested. Um, what happened leading up to the arrest was I was in a relationship with a guy who had a criminal background already, and so when things got tough, when we ran out of money, that's what he resorted back to was uh, you know criminal activity to provide for the drug addiction. 
And I just so happened to be with him. And that's kind of what led us to getting arrested. And then I was in jail and uh, I went to prison. Tell me about um, the the prison experience, um, like how you ended up, you know, how long your sentencing was and, and what happened there. Uh, So my actual sentence was for three years. Uh, You normally don't have to do your whole sentence. If it's not an aggravated charge, you will get paroled out. So I actually spent 15 months in prison and then I was paroled out. Uh, Prison is not a fun place to be, um, but it's not supposed to be, you know. I definitely don't want to go back. It was my first time, and I'm definitely not going to go back to prison. Um, It's not a place to make friends. You are really, you face a lot of uh, heartache in prison just because you miss your family, you miss your life. And, um, but it's a, it's a good place to find where you want to go in the future. What prison were you in? Uh, I was in a couple different prisons. Usually they take you to an intake prison, which is where you go through uh, diagnostics. You do medical exams. Um, you know, they, uh, they, it's all for placing you in a certain unit, all the tests that you take. And so I was at Plain State Unit, which is in uh, Dayton, Texas. And then from there, I went to another prison for 24 hours for just for holding. And then another prison... Uh, It was Bridgeport, uh, which is now closed. They actually closed the facility a couple years ago. Um, And I was actually there for nine months, and I really liked that prison because it only had 200 women. And so um, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was pretty boring, though, because there wasn't a whole lot to do in that prison. Bigger prisons have uh, more programs, more classes you can take, and um, they also give you a job, which takes a lot longer. My job at the Bridgeport facility only took 30 minutes. Oh, wow. (laughs) And just just to give listeners an idea, you know, this is audio, so obviously you can't see anything, but you, you're not the kind of person who looks like what you might imagine somebody being in prison of any kind, much less a women's prison. I mean, if, if anybody's watched Orange is the New Black or something like that, you know, you're not heavily tattooed. You don't no. look like somebody <laughs> that would be scary. Um, you, you don't look like a person that would fit in that environment. So tell me what that was like. You know, being a kid from the suburbs who ended up in prison. Very life-changing experience. Um, you know, you you don't realize how good you have it until you have absolutely nothing. Um, and that's pretty much what you have in prison. You have absolutely nothing. You know, your family can put money on your, they call it on your books, you know, um, to, to get uh, some food or toiletries, uh, stuff like that. Now, the state does provide you with shampoo. Um, they provide you, if you don't have any money, they provide you with what's called indigent supplies. And so you get all your basic needs met, but if you want anything extra, your family does have to uh, provide that extra. And my parents were great. Um, they weren't enabling to where they put so much money on my books. I was living in excess in prison, but they put enough on my books to where I was able to get, you know, a better shampoo, I guess you could say, <laughs> um, like coffee, maybe a little bit of food. You know, I would always get an ice cream cone. That was a nice treat. And they only did that about once every other month. So how did your parents handle your life circumstances? You know, n- no parent thinks their kid is going to be in prison someday right? Uh, or have a drug problem or, or whatever. Right. So what did that do to your family relationship? 
Uh, well, going through my addiction, um, it definitely caused a lot of mistrust with my family, and it's taken years to, to earn that back. I mean, we're in a really good place now, um, but it wasn't instant. You know, right when I got out, oh, I trust you again. Um, I really had to work at that relationship to make it good again. Of course, they were disappointed when I went to prison. Um, I mean, who wouldn't be in, you know, their daughter or son who goes to uh, a prison? But they they let they wrote me and they let me know that they were still supportive of me and they wanted me to succeed and just gave me some encouraging words while I was in prison. Was that time uh, when you were incarcerated, was that sort of a turning point in terms of your addiction and recovery from that? Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of, one of the main reasons was, was because I, I found God in prison. You know, a lot of uh, people say, oh, you, you, you found God in prison. A lot of people do. But, uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a church home. Uh, my parents didn't take us to church. I went to church with friends a couple of times, um, but I didn't really know God until I received a Bible while I was in prison and actually started reading the Word of God. And then I, uh, while I was at Bridgeport, I got put in a, uh, well, I asked to be um, in a faith-based dorm and was surrounded by other people that could uh, teach me and um, just a, a good striving environment for me to look forward to my future. Let's talk about that because um, I know that receiving that Bible in prison is a kind of a primary point in the reason that you ended up in Amarillo. So mm-hmm. let's talk about, you know, your, your 15 months getting to the point where you're able to get out and what happens at that point? Right. So I had, um, I had asked Sharing Hope Ministry for a life recovery Bible, and that's how I grew my relationship with God. And then while I was in prison, um, you know, my parents had told me that I could not come back and live with them at their house. So I um, kind of grew fearful of, okay, where am I going to go when I get out of here? Um, and then someone that was in my faith-based dorm had told me about uh, Patsy's Place Transitional Home, which is, um, you know, another program of Sharing Hope Ministry, the people who I had received a Bible from. And what Sharing Hope does is they send Bibles to women who are incarcerated. That's one of the, the ministries of this local organization. Yes, that's how Sharing Hope Ministry started, was sending the Bibles and Bible studies to women um, in Amarillo, but also across 49 states. Um, we're sending the Bibles to now. Um, and then Patsy's Place opened up in 2011, and it's a one-year program, and I really needed something like that. I needed something longer than a 30-day residential treatment facility. And so what I did was I wrote Patsy's Place, and they sent me the application. There's an application that you get along with all the rules and you know, kind of how the program works. And at that point, I was just kind of like, well, I have to have somewhere to go. And so... Um, I made the decision. I was go- coming to Amarillo. <laughs> what what year was that? That was in 2014 that okay. I um, applied for Patsy's Place, and I, I was released from prison in 2014. And so when you get released from prison, mm-hmm. you don't have a home to go to or necessarily family that, that want to welcome you at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like? What Are you just walking out the door and you have nothing? Basically. So I had a plan, you know, I had wrote to Patsy's place and uh, they sent me a letter saying that I was accepted. And from there, I took that letter to the parole board and they made that a part of my parole plan. Um, So then when you get out, they give you a bus ticket and 50, a $50 check. 
Wow. Yes. <laughs> so and the bus ticket is—is is it like to anywhere you want to go? They—they they well, it has you... to be a part of your parole plan, and so my bus ticket was to Amarillo. So it's for a specific place, right? Now, if you're in prison and you don't ride a place like Patsy's place, um, they will—and you don't have anywhere to go—they will assign you a transitional center. We have one here in Amarillo, the Amarillo um, Transitional Center. That's one that they will send people to. Um, and parole decides that you don't get to decide for yourself. You could be sent anywhere in the state of Texas. And so, but because mine was to Amarillo, to Patsy's place, I kind of had a plan. But if, if you don't have a plan, yeah, you basically get on a bus and they just send you wherever. And then you have that $50 check. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to talk about the, I guess the psychology of that, like Mm -hmm. what it feels like. we, We watch people on TV shows or movies that get out of jail and it's, you know, freedom and then they go to Vegas and they play cards or they return to some other crime. I mean, but it's it feels different than that, doesn't it? It's very overwhelming. For one, you've been in a very structured environment for however long. Uh, You know, you have meals at certain times every day. You have work at certain, you know, a certain time every day. You have class at a certain time. You know, it's very, very structured. Um, you're not used to um, the the traffic, the cars, the sounds. I mean, all the prisons are kind of in um, uh, rural areas. And so it's very, very overwhelming. I remember my my first night that I was out, I hadn't heard airplanes <laughs> and in a very long time. And I could not sleep because I kept hearing airplanes fly over. Um, so it's it's very overwhelming sensory wise. Mm-hmm. Where did you sleep that first night? That first night that I got out, I was actually in Dallas because they had messed up on my parole. And so I actually spent um, three nights at my parents' house in Dallas before I came to Amarillo. So lots of planes. (laughs) So tell me what you knew of Amarillo at that point. So you had been in touch with Sharing Hope Ministries. Mm -hmm. You'd been in touch with Patsy's Place. Had you been to Amarillo before that? I had been to through Amarillo once uh, on my way to Colorado, and I was probably about 12 years old. So I really did not know anything about Amarillo. You you get on the bus and you come here. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when you get off the bus? So whenever I got off the bus, I called Patsy's place and um, Ursula, actually it was Ursula Demerson. She's the program director. She actually picked me up in a 12 passenger van. And it was actually really great because there was three other women that had been in the same prison with me that were already at Patsy's place. So that was, you know, comforting to me. That's not always the case for everybody. Sometimes you get here and you don't know anybody, but it's still a little overwhelming because you still have to go to Patsy's place. You still have to get all of your stuff searched through, and then you have to go through the intake process with them and filling out paperwork. And then they, um, and then you start going to classes straight away. And that's why at Patsy's place, for the first thirty days, you don't have contact with any family or friends. You can't use the phone. And the main reason for that is just to get you used to, you know, the outside world and their program, and just. Kind Kind of make that adjustment because it's such a hard adjustment to make. What kinds of classes would you take? Uh, so Patsy's place um, has they do life skills training. They have cognitive thinking classes, um, financial classes. 
Bible studies. Um, you know, they do like a woman of worth class, um, just a bunch of different classes. Your schedule is pretty full for that first four months at Patsy's place. Um, you also meet with a mentor and a financial coach once uh, a week for an hour. And that financial coach is great because you actually sit down and you work on a budget. Before I went to prison, I really had no idea how to manage money. Um, and so that was probably the most beneficial part of the program for me. Tell me about, uh, I know the statistics for people getting out of prison are not great, that mm-hmm. that often you end up either going back to the drug abuse or mm-hmm. back to you know the lifestyle that is why you ended up incarcerated in the first place. So tell me why uh, a transitional place like Patsy's Place is so important to helping women kind of get turned around to where they're not going to be just headed right back in the same direction. The program really offers so many different aspects that are so important to getting your life back on track as far as the financial, the life skills. Um, And then not only that, but you have such a great support system. Um, You know, they get you plugged into a home church. You go to visit a bunch of different churches within that first four months because not everybody's going to like the same church. And so they want you to find a good church that you can get plugged into. But that's part of the requirement. If you live here, you have to go worship someplace on Sundays. or Right. It is a Christ-based transitional home. And you know that they send you all of that information while you're in prison. And so it is a a one-year commitment um, to follow their rules and go through their program. And I'll tell you, it's not a hard program. It really is. And I tell the girls that come in all the time, just do what you're supposed to do. It's really not that hard and you'll definitely benefit from it. So you you went through the program. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a couple of years ago when you finished? Yes. So 2014, I graduated November of 2015. Okay. And then tell me after graduating, you know, where you found yourself. Did did you know what you're going to do at that point? Um, so at the time, I was actually working two different jobs. I, I don't even remember. Like I worked at like Burger King and I don't even remember what the other one. It's been a while. But I worked two different jobs and I began praying to God towards my graduation that he'd free up some of my time because I wanted to stay involved with Sharing Hope Ministry, even if it was as like a volunteer coming once once a week. Um, but I was, like I said, I was working two jobs and so I was very limited on free time. Well, so about a week before I graduated, I was approached by April Riggs, the executive director, and um, she asked me if I wanted a job. <laughs> and uh, I told her about what I had been praying for, and uh, she laughed and said, well, uh, I guess he wanted you a little more involved in that. <laughs> what do you think she saw in you? Uh, you know, I'd like to think it was my... I was outgoing, and I'm a hard worker. I have good work ethic. You know, I had volunteered doing data entry for them um, earlier on before I had the two jobs, and I picked it up really quick. So I think that helped. Um, I don't know. I really think it was just a God thing, though. So tell me what you do now. Uh, what's what's your title and, and what do you do with Sharing Hope? So I'm the special projects coordinator and uh, I help with all the fundraising events. I do uh, community outreach. I do interviews kind of like this one. And <laughs> um, it's a really great opportunity because I get to go out into the community and I get to be a face and a voice for the women that we serve um, and show you that, that the work that we're doing is working in women's lives. Tell me about the perception, you know, having been there, what what kind of perception does Sharing Hope have among women who are 
incarcerated. I mean, is, is, is that an organization that they're aware of that they think, oh, that's those are the, the people that provide the Bibles and the Bible studies. Yeah, <laughs> we do definitely, we hear that a lot is, oh, they, you know, we also have uh, teams that go into Randall and Potter County and minister to the women. And so we have a lot of women that come to us and say, oh, we love your volunteers that come into the jail or, oh, I, I received a Bible from you guys three years ago and it changed my life. Um, so we definitely hear those testimonies and those stories all the time. I know that a lot of people will have some preconceived ideas of people who have been in prison mm -hmm. or who have been addicted to drugs or, or whatever those are. Uh, and you challenge, I think, those misconceptions just Definitely. because of who you are and, and the work that you do. Um, talk to me about what people don't really understand about women who end up in a situation like that. The, the thing I would tell people is you never know the full story of someone's life. Um, you know, there's a lot of pre preconceived ideas that, oh, they grew up in a, a bad home and they uh, grew up around drugs and just so many different things. And I'm proof that that is not the case. I grew up in a good home. I graduated high school. You know, I really didn't face that much trauma from my past. It just I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I'm not saying that there's cases out there that where they did have a, a bad story growing up. But I have friends that have graduated from Patsy's place that did have a bad past. And uh, they turned their life completely around. All of us have, really, from where we've been. Um, so you really can't judge a book by its cover. Tell me about your parents. I mean, what's your relationship right now with your family? My family's really good. Um, they were actually, my mom and my other son were actually just here over spring break. I'm married now. I have a one-year-old um, with him. We have a mixed family. Um, I'm actually, my mom has had my other son. He's seven pretty much his whole life, um, but I'm actually in the process of getting him back. He should start living with me as of June 1st. Um, so um, it's it's going really good. My relationship with my dad is really good. Um, my brother, yeah, my family's in a really good place now. Do you, do you, since the mistakes that you made were mistakes when you were a teenager, mm -hmm. um, I know you spend a lot of time with women who are getting out of prison. Do you ever talk to like youth groups or anybody like that about, hey, here's what happened with me and it's super easy for this to happen with you? Uh, I actually, I've been out to the juvenile detention center um, once. I'd like to go back out there, but yes, I did get the opportunity to kind of tell them my story and tell them don't follow the same mistakes that I did, you know, but um, the the biggest group that I get to talk to is the women of Patsy's Place. I see them, you know, every day because, you know, that their house is right above our offices. <laughs> and so um, really me sharing my story and uh, about living there helps them and encourages them the most. And you've stayed in Amarillo. You sort of came here, you know, just because that's how the situation worked out. But why have you stayed here? I love I love Amarillo. Um, you know, I I kind of decided while I was at Patsy's place that I didn't want to go back to Dallas Fort Worth because as big as Dallas Fort Worth is, I was sure that I would run into somebody from my past, and uh, I didn't want to do that. Um, not to say that if someone is from Amarillo and they go to prison and they come back to Patsy's place that they can't make it. They can. I've seen it happen. Um, I just had to make that decision for myself. And um, I like that there's no traffic compared to Dallas, okay? <laughs> 
Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years. He's my kid's dentist. He's an expert on Invisalign and uses that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. Look, we're we're lucky to have his knowledge and expertise here in Amarillo. He's got my son Owen in Invisalign aligners right now. Owen's almost at the end of the process, uh, and he is totally a fan of Invisalign. He's had metal braces in the past. He says this is so much better. When a 17-year-old endorses your product, uh, you know it's good. So straight from, from Owen Boyette. To learn more, visit shimandental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Okay, we're back with Stevie Larson. Stevie, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes the fossilized skull of a saber-toothed cat, uh, which was discovered right here in Randall County during the Depression. Uh, You can learn more and actually see that at panhandleplains.org. Okay. So uh, first one, what is your overall favorite place to eat in Amarillo? My favorite place to eat is Lemongrass because I love their sushi. Now, there's a lot of sushi places in Amarillo. Why that one specifically? Um, I don't know. I like the the setting, too. It's a, it's a really calm setting. Um, I love the people. They're really, really nice. And my husband likes it. So that's okay. where we go. <laughs> um, what's your favorite season in Amarillo? Uh, any season that it rains. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> <But> the past <laughs> few months have not been your favorite. No, no. I miss the rain. Everybody who's listening to this can speak to that. Yeah. What does this area have too much of? Red meat. Really? (laughs) Yes. Why do you say that? There's so many steak places. It's crazy. It's like Steak Avenue. (laughs) Now, this is cattle country. I know. We're responsible for a lot of that. I know. What does this area not have enough of? Well, so going with the food still, I'd say seafood. I mean, there's some seafood, but just there's not enough places. Have you found any place that that has the seafood that, that you like? Not really. You know, I'll eat the sushi at mm-hmm. Lemongrass, but uh, as far as other seafood, not not really. I'm going to ask this. Uh, this will put you into a camp. Um, pack a sack or toot and totem? I hate to take sides. I really do, but I'm a pack a sack girl. Why pack a sack? Um, I like their breakfast burritos that they have at pack a sack better okay <laughs> um all right so leading from that question what's what's the best breakfast place in amarillo well I don't well, say pakistan no uh, surely there's no something no um i'm a okay so i'm a big breakfast burrito person so i would have to say huds i, le- I really like huds breakfast burritos what kind of burrito do you get huds? uh so i get bacon egg and cheese and potato potatoes the potatoes are key at <laughs> yes huds. I'll, I'll advocate for that on occasion <laughs> that you if you don't add the potatoes you're not getting the full effect no absolutely burrito. not okay. Good. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Uh, I really like Cliffside Coffee over off of 45th. Okay. Do you live in that area? That... I do, so it's convenient, but uh, it's good. Okay. <laughs> and then how do you describe Amarillo to people who don't live here? I imagine that you end up talking to people who are coming here, getting out of prison, don't really know the area. Mm-hmm. So what do you tell them? It's very windy. Uh, you know, I talked to someone who was from Chicago one time and I, I asked them, so is it windier because it's the windy city? And they said, no, it is so much windier here in Amarillo. 
what do they, I mean, do they say anything once they get here? Do they, do you get a sense of how they feel about Amarillo, you know, once they get outside the the safe confines of, of Patsy's place? Um, it's hard to say because everyone's from somewhere else. You know, my first observation whenever I got to Patsy's place uh, was the traffic. There was no traffic. You know, we were on I-40 uh, driving in the van and the staff member said, oh my gosh, there's so much traffic and we're going 60 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm like, you guys don't know what traffic is. <laughs> yeah, it's not bumper to bumper. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's our eight straight questions. Stevie, I like to end by just asking my guests to endorse something uh, about the area. And that can be literally whatever you want. So what would you endorse? What would you want other people here to experience or know about? My favorite thing in Amarillo, especially during the summertime, is the Tascosa Drive-In Theater. Okay. I had never been to a drive-in theater until I moved to Amarillo. And so every summer, me and my husband make it a point to have a date night and go to the drive-in. Now, what do you like specifically about that as compared to just going to see a movie in a, a regular cinema? I like that you get to... My husband likes to talk a lot during movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's and one of those guys. He is. And so when you go to the drive-in theater, uh, you're sitting in your own car, so he can just talk away. <laughs> well, Stevie Larson, thank you so much for being uh, on Hey Amarillo. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Stevie for the original interview and for being cool with a re-release of her episode. Learn more about Sharing Hope at sharinghopeministry.org. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and to Shimon Dental for sponsoring the show. I'm also grateful to the local people who support this podcast financially and help keep it free every week through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers through Patreon include Criselda, Josh Wood, Barbara and Jim Witten, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Jess Heredia, Joshua Rafe, and Ryan Pennington. This has been episode 172. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.